Welcome to Amateur All Tours, the podcast where every week we sit down and have a discussion about a movie. I'm your host, Mike, and joining me is my brother, Brian, and we would like to welcome you to Amateur All Tours. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Mike, and joining me as always... Hey guys, Brian. And we have a uh, another episode for you guys. This week, we are going to be talking about The Black Klansman, and I know that might sound a little weird because last week I just did a first impressions of it, but for that episode, Brian and I were not together to see it uh, at the same time, so I had seen an early screening, Brian wasn't around, and we were talking, and... Brian said, hey, let, let's go see a movie, and we suggested maybe The Black Klansman, and I think we're going to have a more thorough, in-depth conversation about the film, so... Yeah, I mean, also, I haven't listened to your first impressions at all, so if I echo some of your similar opinions, I mean, I guess sorry for the listeners if it's just the same episode with my voice now, but, you know, we'll have some fun. I th- and I think it'll be fine. I'm pr- I, I mean... Definitely, I'm glad I got the second viewing of the film. We, had, you know, with you, we had a little bit of a discussion because we literally just saw the movie. Uh, we got out maybe like 30 minutes ago, so it was good to see it a second time and with a different audience, and you know, kind of already having known what the film, what the events of the film, and and kind of contextualizing everything from last week. Uh, I think it's going to be. I'm definitely going to echo a lot of the same things I said in that, but you know, you're. We have you here, so hopefully it's gonna be a uh, different discussion. So, yeah, let's get let's get to it. All right, so yeah, uh, so so Brian, I think we should try and have I don't I don't want to say you spearhead, but I think we should have the conversation in your way because this is just gonna be uh, a, a conversation about the Black Klansmen. So we can r- literally talk anything you want. I think that we should go kind of talking about the filmmaking style and then go into the themes. I think we should end on the themes, because I think that is uh, the, the more powerful message of this film, is to talk about the messages. So I think we should start, you know, just, uh, what's your, what is, Brian, what does Spike Lee mean to you? Let's Let's start with that. Well, I'll just start with the... I guess disclaimer that I've only I'm not as well versed in his filmography as I would like to be. I've only seen obviously do the right thing, the remake of Old Boy, which doesn't really count. That um that uh African American like World War Two movie he made. It's I forget what it's called though. That was a long time ago. And a little bit of She's Gotta Have It and now this. So uh I don't really have too much to say on like what Spike Lee is other than I feel like he is someone who's added immensely to black cinema, especially like contemporary black cinema after the black exploitation era and you know whatnot. I always, I always kind of, I find that that type of cinema really interesting. Um, mainly, like I just said, through the black exploitation era, but also even through contemporary figures like Barry Jenkins. I mean, he only, he's only had. I guess Moonlight exploded into the mainstream, but even his new movie, um, If Beale Street Could Talk, I believe that's what it's called, looks incredibly interesting. So I always, I'm always kind of on the on the prowl for new additions in the black cinema. Um, but I, I guess that 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 in essence is what Spike Lee means to me. Um, I don't really pay too much attention to his, uh, what is it? I guess like political, social. I was going to say, because he, he's definitely the type of guy for me that I have to separate the man from the artist, just because 
he, he, I think he's notorious for just kind of being an asshole around just in general. I, I actually, I've told you about it. I may have mentioned it on this, on this show. Um, a few, I think it was like a year ago, I was in a, uh, Italian mob class and I was in a, uh, a fashion class that was, it was an anthropology class, you know, looking at fashion trends from the Renaissance and stuff. But I bring this up because we actually had, uh, the professor, he was Italian and, uh, and he had known this Italian filmmaker who, you know, made, uh, documentaries about, uh, Italian exploitation and things like that. And... And, I, and and you and he was black so he specific this film that he had shown us was specifically about um, bl- uh, black people in Italian cinema so and and the director came and gave a screening of it and it was pretty sweet and he had mentioned that he worked with Spike Lee so I of course after the film I was one of the only students that went up to him and, and you know shook his hand and and, got, and thanked him for showing the film but I had to ask him, since and he also mentioned that Spike Lee was one of his model, his role models in his aspir and one of the people that inspired him for you know filmmaking and everything he did in his life and he worked with him and I asked him what was it like to work with Spike Lee and he immediately go he laughed and said well he was an asshole but he was a professional asshole and and then you hear all these stories of Spike Lee you know going up to f- uh, filmmakers and criticizing them for the use of you know. Uh, portrayal of black people in their films or you know the use of specific racial slurs i mean specifically i was rem- i i think of tarantino following django unchained well not even django unchained just his you know his work and use of specific uh, racial slurs in his filmmaking but then i remember that i was reading about a story of uh, following unforgiven he got into a little uh, argument with uh, clint eastwood where clint eastwood offen- uh, uh, essentially told him to go fuck himself and that was the end of it so spike lee is definitely one of those directors that i have to kind of separate the artist from the or the the, the person from the artist so that's kind of what he means to me but yeah i i definitely enjoy his films and uh, and everything that you said, Brian, I completely agree with everything that he does for you know black cinema and things like that. Like that that was that that's what Spike Lee kind of embodies for me, like the black experience in cinema. Okay, so what so going into this film, I mean, I know, and we're probably going to be referencing "Do the Right Thing." I know I was talking extensively about it in in the last week's episode, and it's definitely one of my favorite films. And and I've mentioned the films that I've seen of him, and I think. In my opinion, Do the Right Thing is his, you know, greatest body of work, which is kind of saying a lot because he does have some really inspiring works of film under his name. But I think Do the Right Thing, among for many reasons, is his best. So what, what was your impression going into this movie? I remember... I remember seeing the trailers for this film, and this was definitely something that was on our, our radars almost immediately, uh, seeing the trailers and, and hearing that it was announced. Like, What, what was your impression can I, kind of working up to this film and to today, a few hours ago? So I've been, so when I come, when it comes to films uh, coming out, I actually, if, if I, if I'm not like really excited for it, I don't really pay attention to the trailers or the, or the hype at all. So um, really, I wasn't, I only saw the trailer once, and I was like, I'm going to see this movie, but I'm just not going to watch a whole lot of it beforehand, the trailer and uh, any of the materials. So, like, they, they were kind of marketing this film as, like, a pseudo, like, satirical comedy. Or not even a comedy, I don't even think that's the right word to say it, but 
it, I, I think comedy is a fair assessment. Just, they were definitely just... marketing it for to be something completely different, and I don't really know why. And I can see, and this is what I'll get more into when we start talking about the story. But it's more, and I never laughed at any any of the quote comedy parts unquote like that were delivered. I never found myself laughing at those. I found myself laughing at the more surreal aspects of the film that were d- digging more into like the ideologies of these people. That was more f- not even funny to me, but I was kind of like I found myself chuckling just because of how absurd it is, but it's in an absurdity it's so absurd because people actually believe this and and I was just kind of and we all know this, and we we know there's extreme hate and prejudices in the world, but it's still something else entirely to see this kind of juxtaposition, like 180, from guys like me and you to the people that are being portrayed in this film, knowing that people like that actually exist. Um, so going into the film, I didn't really know what to expect. I, I wasn't expecting to find anything funny about it, that's for sure. Or at least not, like, unironically funny. Um, if that makes any sense. No, that makes sense. And and we'll get in because I think I agree with you. I, I went into this film not expecting it really to be funny. Uh especially at least to myself and, and you know, guys like us. I never I didn't think that we were gonna think this it was funny. Um not to say if anyone thought this was funny, like there's anything wrong oh, with that. Oh yeah, just, if you thought it was funny, like it's not like you're wrong or anything. There are definitely comedic beats into this laced into the story I just didn't find particularly funny, but they were still there. Yeah, but I, I we'll we'll get back to that because I think that goes more into the message. So let's 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 focus on the filmmaking itself and everything about you know like I don't want to say the technical aspect, but just like the film in itself. Like obviously it's a competently made film. I expect nothing less from Spike Lee. So we don't really have to go into that. But I I want to let's let's talk about let's first talk about the actors and and the performances of the entire film. I for one praise every single person in this film from you know the leads to the to the extras and and just everyone in between even like the cameos from you know Alec Baldwin in the beginning or the you know the the black speakers the young and the old like it's everyone I, I called Spike Lee an actor's director because he was able to get so so many powerful performances and from a, a wide range of different people in this film, which I think is just spectacular, and it was really refreshing, in my opinion. Yeah, I think, yeah, the acting, obviously, was, was uh, you know, a knockout performance by every single person. My only gripe was that I still feel like, and they address this in the film, they're like, well, um, oh man, what's... What's what's the main character's like actual name? Ron Stallworth. Yeah, like they're they're saying since Ron Stallworth has like such a unique voice, and they're saying, well, there's no way that they're gonna believe it's you with the voice when it's someone else entirely. And they have Adam Driver, who who does who in his own right really does well in this film, but he never does nail the voice, and you know he doesn't exactly the only thing that they really got going for each other is that they that they're on the same pack like part of the story they know they know what beats to say and what beats to tell since they're in on it together but they never really nailed the voice and that's what i thought what i was going to see when they're like pra- there's a scene where they're practicing the voice the voice acting together and um like so adam driver has to uh speak like he like like he's speaking like um 
Ron can speak. Like, I think it's like, they say it's like pseudo white, pseudo jive. And he's like trying to mimic the mannerisms of his voice. And, and there's like this big training sequence of it, but like he never nails it. You know, I thought I was going to see that scene be like, oh, he's going to talk, he's going to nail the accent for the movie, but they never really go anywhere with that. And then Adam Driver just speaks like Adam Driver for the rest well, of the movie. Well, they even, they even do bring it up at one point, like right yeah. after, like, he's like, oh, you sound different on the phone. He's like, oh, I, I got the allergies. And it's like, but and then, then they like, they never, oh yeah. But they never go anywhere with that though. No, I know. No, I, I do agree with you. It, it was a little odd that, you know, it, it, that they were saying like, it's essential that you guys are on the same page and you guys have the same beats. You, you which pretty much, which was never, that was that's not what I'm disputing. It's more of no. That, I know. It's I guess the, it's that, that they never. I don't know they how. Never got the voice. I don't know. I don't know how the real guy actually speaks, but the actor. Um, what is it? Is it Sam Washington or? Um, I think it's Sam David Washington. I believe is his name. That actor speaks so, uh, so specifically. You know what He's I mean? He's got a radio voice. Yeah, but it's more of like the again, like the mannerisms of how he talks. Yeah. So the dialect was. Uh, I that was my only main gripe with the with the film. Yeah, and I I can definitely see that, but I overall I thought that you know like anyone like I thought everyone just I I said this last week that I thought Spike Lee just said you know go a hundred ten percent don't hold back really go after it it's gonna sell this message and and I and everyone I felt like everyone bought into what Spike Lee was doing and I thought like it. it and I, I don't know, I just keep saying, like, from everyone, from the top to the bottom, like, really just believed in this message, and they were just super, I just felt like they, was, they were really excited to be working on, you know, the next Spike Lee joint, and I, I and it really shows, I, I think just, in the camaraderie, and the, and the, um, and the chemistry between all the different actors and that interact with each other, I thought it really worked out, like, I really, and, and one thing that I thought, going into this film was that I, I, I was thinking that this was going to be that stereotypical, like, he, he's, it's like the the racism is so embedded and even in the police department that no one's going to take this guy seriously. I thought we were going to have those, those moments where, like, you know, we're getting those racial slurs and put downs of uh, Ron Stallworth and that he has to overcome it and that this was his way that he was going to, like, legitimize himself. But even from the beginning, I mean, yeah, you get a few of those, um, I always got, like, you get the scene when he's working in the uh, record, and he's like, oh, get me a toad. I always took that that they're calling just the black suspects toads, because, you know, we're just getting flashes of black suspects as they're calling them toads, and then you have, like, the racist officers as, oh, like, Officer Toad, and... And so, but that was kind of like the worst thing that we got in the, in the police department. Even like all the white officers, it seems like this. He was like the first black officer here, and because we don't see anyone else in the Colorado Springs uh, police department, and it's a big reason why they hired him. But we never got that scene of you know, all right, like you gotta you gotta like just you think you're just as good as a white officer? Well, you're not. And like they earn their salt or like they earn their respect slowly but surely. Uh, I'm. It, I was kind of refreshed that we didn't get that scene. Um, but which you know I really enjoyed. But uh, yeah, I I kind of felt like I went in with a lot of expectations, and they were just did, you know, they didn't even come true. Which was I don't want to say it subverted my expectations, but it was just refreshing that it didn't feed into the stereotypes of you know kind of cop movies like this or or, or movies that try and that try and tackle racial, uh, or, like, race relations or racial messages, like, that they, they kind of fall into. 
So let's get into now. I was, this is one thing that I was talking about with uh, Spike Lee's style, and that I said last week is that I felt like it was subdued. Now, I don't know what you, what do you have to say about you know my claim that Spike Lee's subdued. And I know we talked about it a little bit, but and we're probably gonna reiterate some of the points we talked about on the car ride home. But what what do you have to say about you know the subdued message or subdued style of Spike Lee in this film? Um, well, I guess, like, in terms of the filming style, or, like, his story style? Oh, d- just, d- just like, purely uh, filming style, not necessarily the story. Because, so, the way I was just, because you asked me, like, well, what is Spike Lee's style? And there's two things that I've, now I, now I want to preface, like, I've only seen a handful of his films, so this is just from what I've seen, and it's a lot of camera movement i always describe his camera as another character so it's constantly moving uh you know he every director has their every good director and every well-known director has their signature trademark i'd say and for me every time i think of spike lee i think of a dolly shot that moves forward or backwards with the character especially when the character's talking it's really dramatic and dynamic and so that's and that's just an example so uh, there's that, and also, you know, his visual, you know, p- the powerful images that he's able to have, and so, for example, in especially in, you know, the 25th hour, or Do the Right Thing, you have these moments of just, you know, they kind of look like still, for, uh, still photographs of the characters, you know, it cuts in the middle of the action with the characters just kind of posing and mean mugging it, and that's kind of what I associate with him. It's just this break from the from the narrative to kind of hit home, or just like kind of fill in like another. It's another visual style, and it happens periodically throughout the Black Klansman as well. Uh, but it doesn't happen enough. I felt like there was a lot of you know fixed cameras, lots of lots of like you were saying Dutch angles, uh, kind of things that I don't really typically associate with uh, Spike Lee, but. But still, a lot of his signature things are there. They're just not really in your face about it. I got it more as that he's a matured filmmaker. He's not a young guy anymore. He, you know, he he wants to have his own his own touch in there. But he's you know older, and this and and I think it works well into what you mentioned, like the surrealist style of his message. So, what did you have to say about the style of this film, either narratively or like visually? Well, like I said narratively what i was getting at was it was more, i was coming at it more from you know i'm always just going to draw the, the parallels between that this and do the right thing like so in do the right thing it's more of a it's not it, it deals obviously with prejudices but in in, in a, it's such a different way cuz it's um it's it's not surface level but it's more like it's more of like a universal kind of prejudice so when like they do like the the zoom ins on you know the famous scene when they when they zoom in on each ethnicity speaking racial slurs about another one another ethnicity it, it it's 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 weird because it, it's it's more of like they're talking they're breaking the fourth wall talking to the audience about this whereas I see it in in this film it's there it's just kind of like they're matter of, matter of factly stating it and this is where I, it's more. They're exploring more of, and the, well, the reason it's different because they're explaining more of like they're coming from this like genocidal, murderous, hateful like place. It's it, it, it's much more visceral than those and do the right thing. Um, 
I feel like Do the Right Thing deals with prejudice, and the Black or Black Klansman deals with hate. And I feel like those are two very different things. Like they can be synonymous with each other, but sometimes they can just be very different. Um, and it's a different kind of subject matter that's being dealt with. Um, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, it, I feel like it's like the same, uh, same sport, different ballpark, kind of. Okay. Where, yeah. So so what about because you're so what about the the visual style? Because I just want to get this stuff out of the way first before we get really into like the meat of our conversation. Yeah. Uh, visually, I mean, I'm not again, I'm not really well versed into. The whole, with the Spike Lee's filmography, so I can't for sure say like where where the Artur uh, trademarks start and end. But I mean, I will say like just visually speaking, there are definitely some very um, in- interesting shots that I liked in particular, especially pretty much the last five minutes uh-huh. uh, that I really dug. Especially like pretty much um, when um, the oh, Ron Ron and Patricia? Is that her name? Patrice. Patrice. When they're like, when they start kind of gliding through the hallway, look out of the cross, and then we get the ending scene. I really dug that. Um, even just like the shot, um, the best scene in the movie, obviously, is the, um, the where the lynch, the, the juxtaposition from the, I guess, swearing in, ordaining or whatever nature you want to call of the initiation, Klansmen. Initiation, yeah. Initiation of the Klansmen to that of a of a described lynching. Um, that, that that just, it's so the beat for well, it's, beat. It's what's really interesting about, well, I don't want to say interesting, well, it's what's great about pairing these things is because the lynching of Jesse Washington really was like the first, it, it was it's like the Charlottesville of the 1930s. In that, you know, the the Jesse Washington lynching was this. It's described in the movie this this case of a 17 year old uh, black kid who was uh, uh, charged of, you know, raping and murdering a white woman, and then, you know, for er, he was uh, he was convicted by a white jury, and they deliberated for what it, like less than five minutes, and then the crowd came out and took him, and it just tortured him, and, you know, brutalized him, and, and, like, there was that photographer that, you know, took pictures, and they did, they actually did sell the pictures of postcards, they sold his body, his mutilated body parts, and mutilated body as souvenirs, like, really disgusting and fucked up things, and apparently, like, the people in that, I think it was Waco, Texas, they saw nothing wrong with this, but then, like, the greater country, when these, when these pictures came out, were, like, as anyone rightly would, just like Jesus Christ, like this is fucked up stuff, and and then this is kind of starting this whole thing of like what it's echoing in Charlottesville, although like no one no one got lynched in Charlottesville, but there's like mass violence uh, across you know towards a minority group, uh, like it's it's very it's a hate filled action, and and it's also the masses are standing idle by as these things are occurring. So, and I think that's what's really interesting in, in that having this segment in there and then pairing that and juxtaposing that with the white power. I thought it was, like we just said, I thought it was one of the most powerful segments of the entire film. Oh, yeah, definitely. And and so I'm trying to think, 
and I just love the way it's it's shot because you go from this like really jovial kind of initiation where people are like smiling and they're proud of what they're doing, and and then you're cut to this kind of rem- remembering why these people are dangerous, and then they start talking about birth of a nation and and how that you know gave the clan uh, resurgence and in popularity and and. Uh, and then, and then you, and then that's pairing with these people watching. I described it as people watching, like their favorite football team finally win the Super Bowl, like or like they're watching, you know, a western or something, and they're watching their heroes come in and you know beat the bad guys, and it's and it's so obviously wrong and and immoral, but it's like you're just it's it's just it's just it's so much is very complex and so much is going on, and. I guess now we can get into the meat of our conversation of you know the message the the ultimate message of do the right th- or, I'm sorry of the Black Klansmen. So Brian, let's start us off with with uh, with this with this segment because I know you had a lot to say about this about um at which part the story or the ultimate messages. Oh, so oh wait, well what did I have to say about it? We just talked about it in the car. Um. Way about uh, like Charlottesville and like everything else like that. Well, pretty much everything. This is like just an open floor discussion right now. Like kind of. Well, we're just I guess pick and I guess the the real meat of the movie in the thesis, obviously, as as with at least with Do the Right Thing, Spike Lee sets up the stage and there's like so much build up until you finally reach like this like cathartic moment at the end where it's like that's like the thesis, that's the realization of his film, and. And do the right thing. It was the death of Radio Rahim. In this film, it's definitely like it was all. It's 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 great that you you kind of get your own little comeuppance. Like you get your your years. The story's like nice little bow at the end, where like the racist cop gets busted and is, will probably get fired, and um and then you and then you end the film with um our heroes pretty much making an ass out of David Duke and like admitting that it's like hey man like I'm. I was a black guy playing you the whole time, you know, you racist asshole. But then it's like this quick juxtaposition to the riots of, of um, uh, in like Virginia and everything like that, with all with all the um, you know the violence, the, the, the violence, and the white and the supremacists, and yeah, and, all and the Donald chaos. Trump's remarks. Yeah, like followed by Donald perfectly. Trump remarks. Um, which it, which which is the callback to that to that to that line that we were talking about where. Um, they say, Ron says, you know, we'll, we'll never, like when they're talking about David Duke when they get into politics and they're saying, like, would the, the Americans would never vote in, you know, this racist uh, figure into politics. And then the sergeant says, you know, wake up. Of course they would. Well, what I think is really good, because one thing you mentioned was maybe having that scene when this police sergeant and Ron Stallworth talk and, and it's like, wake up. I, I kind of like how it is now because, yeah, we get those, like, bows at the end. Like like you said, the racist cop gets his comeuppance. The, they kind of make, like, they make the ass out of David Duke. And it's a very, like, a, like literally laugh-out-loud moment. It's kind of like that high-five moment. But then the film ends um, with, you know, a cross-burning. And we get and and it, and and then we that transitions like literally right from the cross burning into Charlottesville, and it jumps that thirty forty year gap. But I think that that's that is like a very interesting well, like we, that jump to have. Well, that's and I think the thing. It's really, well, well, that's the thing that I find really 
amazing. Like, that's why I love the last... I love the movie, but the last five minutes in particular, as soon as they call David Duke and make him look like a dick and an asshole, and then they get to um, our two, you know, heroes eating or, like, relaxing in their home, and then they hear something, and then they go get their guns, and then it's kind of like... that's where And that's where the, the film kind of, like, breaks reality in that they're gliding down the hallway with their guns drawn, and then it's like they're they're looming to a burning cross, and then we get to that where, you know, these guys in, like, this cultish fashion, you know, kind of kneeling before a burning cross in their robes, and then and then, then we cut to Charlottesville, and, and then we see just, like, these images where it's like, you know, um, the white supremacists uh, saying Jews will not divide us, will not take our country from us, and with the with their burning their stupid Hawaiian tiki torches, and um, and then you get what is it? Um, further protests of of uh, people just beating the living hell out of each other. And then you get that the really famous uh, image of of the car driving through people, really evil stuff. And then you and then you you get the reaction shots of people saying, you know, why is this happening? We don't want this here. And then they cut to the to the to the to the woman who passed away, who the one who got hit by the car and died. And then they cut to I think this is the perfect way you could have ended this movie. Let me the, let me say real quick, this is because last week I didn't spoil it because I saw the early screening and I wanted to show people, like, I wanted to tell people about this. I'm definitely gonna put the spoiler warning like before we start, but. Go ahead. Like I, I, this is an image that I didn't spoil for people, but since this is a spoiler discussion, Brian, what was the last image? Well, it was an upside down American flag, and you and you could say that's too. I don't. I can. I can hear the. I can hear people saying it's too on the nose. But, but you that's know the what? point. That's but where that's we're at. the point. That's where we're at in this country. We're yeah. I see that upside down American flag, and for those of you who don't know. When the when the when the American flag is hung upside down, that means danger, or distress. It distress, yeah, danger, distress. I need help, and you like know SOS, what? Yeah, as a country right now, we're living in some crazy wild times, and to end the movie like that, especially after the the Charlotte's uh, Charlottesville, you know, uh, archival footage and whatnot. Yeah. Also, like just after a year, like I think it was. A year ago, like a few days ago, we had that one-year anniversary of Charlottesville, August yeah. 11th and 12th. Yeah, and and it's in like I'm pretty sure the movie came out on the 10th, so it was all strategic, yeah. obviously. Well, obviously, and and uh, and I think actually, and I think I mentioned this as well in last week, but if not, Spike Lee. He, I think he was finishing uh, the production. Well, it's yeah, of, definitely they would probably be finishing wrapping up filming. By That's the time saying, Charlotte, like, Charlottesville they was were finishing out. production as uh, Charlottesville happened, and he actually made the conscious effort to you know reach out to the woman that passed away, her family, to anyone that you know all this archival footage, getting permission to use it, and getting the blessings from the families to end the film in this way. And I think and it's, that's it's, just, it's it's a, it's a damn powerful ending. I, and on it, I don't know how like because I, I, I think it it ties everything together and like ending with the distress like th- yeah it's on the nose but that's kind of the point it's supposed to be blatant because you know and i think and this is we're gonna brian this is definitely like we should bring up some of these points that we mentioned in the car like there's that scene in the film when they say like essentially 
being a bigot is not hip anymore. Like, no one wants to be called a bigot. Like, you have to be more, you know, covert about how you handle, yeah, but how you know, racism you and things like that. But yeah, and, and like, and, and but, and then we get this, like, really heavy-handed, like, it's, it, it's, it's meant to be. It's, it, ha- it and, and I think it just ties everything together, and especially the message that he's getting And at. it's a little, it ties together a little too perfectly, which is, like, the really creepy thing. Yeah, but I wonder like what this film if like if Charlottesville didn't happen, I wonder how this film would have ended. It I mean, definitely, it definitely he, would... he probably would have definitely ended with Trump, but with you know his his the Trump campaign trail with him just you know it probably would have been Ferguson. Hope oh, that's yeah, that's definitely true. But or or Baltimore, or, or all the other countless you know police brutality. And that, like, cases. Yeah, it, it definitely would have been something like that. Which it's interesting now that you say the police brutality thing. There are snippets of other of like the blue side, you know. Of and when I say blue, I don't mean you know parties. I mean, I mean uh, cops. Because there is that one scene where um, Ron is saying, "Oh well, like not all cops are bad," and then but then the, the retort is, "It only takes one to kill." You know, a brother or a sister. You know. Yeah. But but, but there I, yeah, are there it's... is like a back. It, it's not it's not it's not anti cop. And and not and I don't mean anti cop, but it's definitely I feel like it'd be a very easy thing to do to say, well, here's this one really racist cop, and like, but even then that scene was like terrifying. But, but you know what I mean? You could have gone that way. Spike Lee could have gone that way, saying all cops are evil or they're all racist. They all want to get you. Honestly, you know? surprised that he did not go that route. I don't know. That... I don't know his his stance on this kind of stuff. I mean, obviously. I'm sure, yeah, I mean, everyone's, like, we're all against, like, police brutality, but, yeah, I was very surprised that that was as subdued as it was, knowing knowing it's who it's coming from. Only, like, a majority of the cops, I would say a majority of the cops in this film are portrayed as, you know, good cops, they want, they actually legitimately want to do good, Uh, like, there's, you know, the handful of bad, and, like, there's only one, like, overtly, like, horrible cop. Like, yeah, you get the moments of, you know, when that one bad cop is, like, you know, frisking up Patrice and all her friends at a traffic stop. You've, you've, you know, those background cops holding guns on, but, like, there's obviously but they, the ringleader. But they definitely or... portray him. Uh, I forget his name. But they definitely portray him as, like, the outlier. You know? Like, like no one's okay with it, but they're like, what are you gonna do? Like, he's a cop where you can't rat on him, you know? Like, they never they never allude that it's, like, it's, like, a much deeper issue in the police force. Like, they just say, like, yeah, they're all kind of racist, but, like, they don't, like, to, to the extent of, like, police brutality, they never really push it that extra step like that other cop is doing, you know? Yeah, and this is, I want to bring up a character that I, I mentioned to you on our way back, and that's the character of Connie, which in my opinion, I think is the most interesting character, I think. If you were to pick a character out of this entire film, I think Connie is the most, is the most interesting to, to look at, and I think the most contemporary, I think she's like, she's like the underlying, I think, na- uh, like the danger of, you know, the clan or you know hate groups like this in that you know they have the exterior of you know the superficial idea of like oh they seem nice like to your face they're very like so the first time uh adam driver's character meets connie it's at you know their home and it's the, the meet the rest of the clan chapter 
and she's like, oh, like, come on in, like, just make yourself at home, like, I brought a cheese platter, like, just, just, you know, kick your feet up, if you need anything, just let me know, and then her husband, Felix, like, the crazy one of the group, the, the more radical extremist, he, and probably one of the stupidest ones there, he is saying, oh, we gotta put these people in their places, we gotta put the blacks and the Jews in their places, and then Connie immediately pipes up and says, oh, yeah, like, uh, talking about Patrice's character, that she's been picking her nose, and, or she's been sticking her nose in all these different areas, and we gotta, we gotta shut her up, we gotta put her in her place, like, we gotta do something about it, and, and, and that, to me, is just kind of, and that's my opinion of, of this character, is that, you know, there's this, there's this underlying internal, like, that these people are hiding, and they only express when they're around each other, and that they feel safe, and that, and that, I think, is the most underlying, like, the dangerous aspect of, you know, or, uh, groups like the Ku Klux Klan, or, you know, hate groups or white supremacist groups is, like, exactly what Connie represents. Yeah, and, that well, that's the thing that I was saying, is that I think the character of Connie is, like, a caricature of these types of people. I mean, and this isn't me justifying any hate group in any way or fashion, but especially from films like American History X and that, uh, the Daniel Radcliffe one where he's like an undercover cop. That Um, was a pretty good film, but that's a conversation for another day. Well, and there's another, uh, even like a Ryan Gosling one where he plays a neo-Nazi when Ryan Gosling was young. Um, the thing that those films do that Spike Lee didn't is that, that it is much, um, it is a much more nuanced issue. Like, like, Connie isn't like isn't saying these things simply just because like she's just evil, you know. She's saying because especially you know I was telling you about this. Um, I listened to um the Sam Harris podcast and he recently this well a few months ago he interviewed a um a former white supremacist like really heavy into the neo Nazis and he's a reform guy and he, I, I I honestly forget his name though. If you could look at like if you could just look that up you'd probably find it. But um. And he was saying it was, it's more of the, it, it comes from a lot of confusion and, and self-hatred of your of yourself, and and then you kind of like project that onto other people, and then, and it's also like the community of like the skinheads and the neo-Nazis that you kind of just long for. A lot of these people, <clears throat> excuse me, are looking for a community of their own. Well, they're, yeah, they're dejected them. from society, and these people take them in. And this is, and like, and and that's why that's why movies like American History X and everything else exists. Like, exact, like, <clears throat> excuse me, these these that, that's not the story Spike Lee is trying to tell. So, like, I'm not, I don't, I'm not getting too upset by that. Um, but I think Connie's definitely just like a caricature of these kinds of people. Um, and not saying they don't exist because they do, but it's just, it's a much more nuanced you know, perspective, just like everything is, but again, that's not the story that Spike Lee is trying to tell, and obviously, I forgive him for that, I don't care that he didn't go into that, like, the real, he's not going into the motivations of white supremacists, he's, he's trying to just expose the raw, unadulterated hatred of these groups, which is fine, which is great, which is what the movie's trying to do. Yeah, I, no, I definitely... I, that was just something that I, I thought was a really interesting touch. Like, again, I, I think that, in a way, Spike Lee did subvert my expectations. Because I went into this film thinking it was going to be, like, pretty much the opposite of what it was. I was expecting a pretty much anti-black, like, police 
uh, like entire police department and Ron Stallworth was going in and like tr- like changing them one by one, giving them the perspective or um, pretty much like demonizing all these different types of people. But the film does the exact opposite of that. I think it's very fair in its depiction of pretty much a majority of everyone. And and like I mentioned, I, I the one thing I, I I thought that the portrayal of a lot of the clan is being like idiotic and bumbling. Like that like yes, there are those people that exist and like you get the few smart individuals. Like I thought Walter was definitely like the character that I think is why they're so dangerous. Like you have that one guy that is able to organize these, this like these groups of, you know, as you were saying, dejected people into, into a collective body that can do legitimate harm. And, but it was just like, but there's too, there's too much focus on like the character of Ivan, the fat drunk who, who almost shoots himself in the head or Felix. Oh yeah. Who, the, the slack jawed idiot. Yeah. Who, or, or, or like Felix who is giving like, Oh, the Jew lie detector test. And he's like, Oh, like show me your dick. You're, you're circum, uh, your, uh, your circumstanced penis. And you're like, what? Like, like that, like I get it. Like that like should be here, but I thought there was too much of that. And again, in my opinion, it kind of diminishes how, dangerous this group or these like hate groups are uh because like if you just kind of and like that's why like okay i was saying that now i'm not a political analyst or anything like that like i i got i i got a degree in bio and i'm going to nursing school so i i I am by no means a political analyst or anything like that i i but one of the reasons that i am a big proponent of why Donald Trump got elected is that people like far left people were not having these conversations with you know anyone that you know identified as conservative so what this film to me is kind of doing portraying these these dangerous individuals as just idiots and they just kind of and, and like they're and they and they don't really understand what they're doing and they're just like kind of doing things just on a purely like coincidental like kind of thing is that like so going like going back to Trump it's like because they never had these these things and like and like liberals come in and say oh like we can laugh at this and we can admi- and we can admit that this is ridiculous and like oh but we it's kind of like vir- it's virtue signaling that oh like we like we're be- we're much better than this and that we cuz we don't we we subscribe to something completely different and these people are horrible and that they are the scum of the earth and that we should never ever talk to these people again cuz who like who cares and then that goes into you know Donald Trump like oh like who would vote for Donald Trump like you know you get these you know John Oliver Stephen Colbert uh you know the the daily show like you have all these or just anyone just making and rightly so he's a fucking idiot but just kind of building this this uh, idea that oh he would never win like it's a joke that he wins and like you even had pres you had um you know former president Barack Obama doing it on like the uh, the mean tweets with Jimmy Kimmel like oh if you like at least I was president and then guess what he's uh, Donald Trump's president now and so it it kind of leads into this like shock that he was elected in that you know, people actually, like, there are, like, not everyone that voted for Donald Trump is a bigot or racist or, like, a whole, like, generalizing these people and it further divides. So that's kind of my problem is that I feel like Spike Lee makes films for 
like in 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 my opinion, he makes films for uh, uh, liberals, and because Brian, in our audience, I would say majority like majority white, and we and and not and when I saw this last week, there's maybe like a hand handful of uh you know of you know either minorities there, but it's majority white people, and all the reviews I've been reading are from you know white rich people or all these positive reviews i think i read one negative review and they were kind of hitting on like hitting on this point but yeah not to make it too political but i don't really like how they kind of portray majority of the clan members in this film as just like dumb bumbling well buffoons. i don't think spike lee makes films for liberals i just think his films fall into the liberal category and and when you're talking about like social justice and like minorities and and african americans and my and and whatnot it's always going to fall into that liberal like perspective i don't think spike lee like sits down and is like how am i going to impe- appease the democrats at least at least i don't know when i think of films like do the right thing and now the black klansman it's more of it's more of a it's a commentary you know like yeah they're they're his views uh, and, and they and they and they add to again, like I said before in the beginning, the black experience in America. You know, I think, like I think ultimately, Spike Lee didn't. I don't think he makes films and is like, how can I piss off old white men today? I don't think he makes films like that because that would that would lower what his thesis is ultimately trying to say. I think I think, um, you know, I think the embodiment of like Spike Lee's like. Uh, com- social commentaries are embodied in that in the in the first speech by that pseudo Martin Luther King Jr. guy when he's like Black Power. Um, oh, know. I took that as like a yeah, like a Malcolm X character, yeah. But I see, I, but but I feel like that's that's what he's ultimately trying to get at because let let's just say it's straight like race relations in the United States are abysmal, and I think that's just what he's trying to not even necessarily bridge the gap, but. That's what film is sometimes. It's a commentary and it's a way of reaching the other side. Mm-hmm. Or even just starting a dialogue, you know, just adding to the discourse. Yeah. I don't think that's necessarily like just because it has it just because it is, you know, traditionally like from a liberal logic doesn't necessarily make it a liberal film, you know? Mm-hmm. So like I, I just don't think like I don't, and that's the thing where you get into it too, because it's like, because then then you get into the thing where if you have like a conservative watch it and say it's like a really bad movie, then someone will just call them racist because like, oh well, you're just like David Duke or like whoever, you know. Then you start getting into stereotypes, and you which is what I'm getting at, which is the problem. Of well, just I don't like, think, I don't think he's like setting this along like uh, a political like boundary. Oh, I don't think he is either. Like, I, I don't, just think I don't that watch pe- this I think movie, people watching this film are going to. I don't watch this film and I'm like, wow, that's a liberal and that's a republic. Like, that's a Democrat, that's a Republican. I don't. I never got that that sense. It's more of just like this is the commentary on race relations in the United States today, and and that's like undeniable, like just the state of the of affairs. You, it's like you just can't deny it. Let me let me ask you something. How do you think our crowd took that? Do you think they're having this com? Not necessarily this conversation. Do you think they will have this conversation? Definitely like that fat girl isn't. Not trying to be mean, but there's this 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 younger girl probably in uh, 
probably a senior in high school, comes comes wallowing out and says, that movie was so boring. And, like, laughing about it. And yeah. I was just like, what? <laughs> I don't, one, I didn't think the movie was boring. But two, it's just like, we, I was, <sighs> that just aggravated Brian and I so much. Because we, because, like, we walked out of the restroom and and this particular individual walked out and said this in front of us and Brian and, and I were laughing. laughing about it too. Well yeah, they were laughing just like like kind of completely oblivious to the message of that film and Brian and I just we looked at each other and we immediately just stopped talking and we just like walked out trying to like be flies on the wall listening to the conversation and essentially it was just like that movie was boring and like I don't know what was going on. But, and then we got out, I'm like, I wonder if she understood the significance of, like, the last image of the, the, uh, upside down American flag. I, I don't know. I don't want to say if she did or not. I hope she did, but I'm going to say chances are no, because that's a powerful image, especially paired with Charlottesville. And honestly, like, you don't, you don't leave, you don't leave the Black Klansman laughing. I'm just gonna say that right now. You don't leave that the, the movie theater after seeing that Especially movie. Especially that chuckling. last like five minutes of the film. Like I it's like, like it's bleak. And that's the thing. I've seen that imagery before. Like we've all <clears throat> seen the car running into people. But you know, like it's just something. Seeing it on like the big screen and it's just it's horrifying. Or like following it with silence. And you know, and it's and you and you end the movie like the main when all the characters are together on a laugh. But it doesn't end with laughs. It ends very somber and very viscerally. And, and it yeah, just, it, so it's supposed to, you're supposed to leave the theater thinking about something. A lot of, lot of laughs throughout the theater. Um, not in the end, we but... Did, well, not not at the end, but just, like, periodically throughout the film. I kind of predicted when they were going to come since I had seen the film, but some came when I least expected it. Um, I don't know why. I don't want to say that people were uncomfortable, because there was nothing really uncomfortable for me in this film. Like, when we saw um, Hateful Eight, and there's, like, the scene when Samuel L. Jackson is thought, like, oh, I, he, I made him suck my dingus, and then, like, people are laughing, and you're like, uh, this is not funny, this is, like, pretty fucked up, and you're probably laughing because you're uncomfortable, and you don't know how to respond to it. I never, that, there wasn't, to me, there was no scene that was, like, so uncomfortable that, that you could laugh, that yeah. you laughed at it, so there was, there were moments when people were laughing, and I was like, this isn't really that funny. I was like, I yeah, that know. wasn't really a joke. <laughs> yeah. Like, it, it's not played as a joke. There's no, like, comedic beats to it, so I don't understand why you're laughing. Uh, definitely, there are a few applauses throughout the theater. Um, definitely, well, when the film ended, I definitely thought, like, the film ended. Like, when it deserved an applause, but, like, you know, just periodic things. And, like, it was more than one person. I'd say it was, because Brian and I were, like, in the front, and no one was around us, so we had, like, a full theater, in the at least behind us, so there were, like, quite a few people, like, applauding throughout the film, which is fine, like, do what you want, but it was, like, at the, it was seemingly, like, random points, and, uh, I don't know, I didn't, I don't really, I couldn't really gauge what the people were, I also didn't know that there were young people there, to be completely honest, like, I had no idea, like, I thought most of it was gonna be, like, uh, I thought we were going to be the youngest people there, Brian, and we're 22. So I thought the crowd was going to be, like, late 20s to, I don't know, anywhere from the 50s or 60s. So I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, I can't really get the vibe of the room other than that one girl that stands out to me that was, oh, that was boring. So 
I don't know. I'm I'm hoping that people are like like you said, starting that dialogue and having that conversation that we're, not not necessarily this exact conversation, but you know, starting something in the form of that because you know, I agree with Spike Lee, like and I completely agree with that uh that distress signal that something's got to change and it's got to happen now and it's through dialogue and talking with people with different views than you and not just having this confirmation bias of yeah that's that viewpoint is wrong let's just stick in our own little bubble and you know hope that he doesn't the hope that Donald Trump doesn't get a second term so i don't know i definitely think that dialogue needs to start right now so that's all I had, Brian, and I I already had my closing thoughts last week. I loved the film, loved the cinematography, loved uh, pretty much a, a lot, a majority, vast majority of this film. What are, what are your closing thoughts before we get into recommendations and ratings? If there's any more points you want to have before we we close off, it's not it's not as important as Do the Right Thing, but it's still it's still an important movie. Um, I think just we'll definitely look back on this moment of history, of American history, um, not fondly, definitely not fondly, at least in terms of, like, race relations with the United States, and I think, but this is definitely something that we can always return back to as, like, a moment, uh, I, it's definitely, I think this is an important movie, I get, that's what I was just trying to say, it's, and it's a well-made movie, um, I definitely think this is something that should be watched, like, in tandem with do the right thing like if i were to show like someone who had never seen like do the right thing or or ever really heard of spike lee i would show them these two movies in succession um because it's it's just it's it's just it, it, it's coming from more of like a social justice perspective that's the power of like cinema as well it can be used as a tool for so for social change and commentary and the last five minutes of this movie alone are enough, I think, to spark a new, like another debate, the debate that should be had today, um, that it, that the that the current discourse is not pushing forward because there is no discourse. So, yeah, like I think this is a good movie. I th- I would give it I would give it an eight out of ten. Yeah, maybe I, a seven point five. I think that's fair, and that's like still a pretty like good review of this film yeah just going off like this and again like drawing those parallels with you know do the right thing like i completely agree showing the two films together in tandem because you know i th- i think they're both e- like they're both very important films that people should see and it's also one of those things that like it's again like the last the last segment the last moments of the film are what people need to see but you need the context of the two hours prior to it, the for the build up, in and so and I think that the Black Klansman does that extremely well, especially with its predecessor of Do the Right Thing, and so yeah, I I I, I I'm glad that you enjoyed the film, Brian. I'm just gonna reiterate my I strongly recommend this film, guys. Anyone that that can see this film in theaters, go for it. Go support this film. And I, I'm pretty sure I gave it an 8.5 out of 10, and and if and if I didn't, then I'm changing to 8.5. But I'm gonna give the Black Klansman a uh, 8.5 out of 10. So with that, guys, that concludes this uh, discussion or conversation about the Black Klansman. Brian, I'm glad that we could uh, finally go see a movie together. And uh, yeah, I, it was it was a fun time finally getting to see a movie with you again. Yeah, and then we got more episodes coming up soon. Yeah, and we're working uh, 
really kicking in the overtime before you know school starts for both of us. We really want to get these con this content out for you. And uh, yeah, as always, guys, uh, you could always reach out to us. We Brian and I would love to hear it. Uh, you know, in there, all that information is mentioned at the uh, the closing post show. So uh, yeah, once again, guys, thanks for listening. And as always, have a great night. Thank you for listening to this episode of Amateur Outdoors. Cover design was created by Sarah Jacobs. You can find more of her work at our own website, Digital Adventures. The opening theme, Dreams, is composed by Joachim Karid. This composition was found using a Creative Commons search. As a small plug, go check out both Sarah and Joachim's work. They are really great and deserve the attention. If you want to drop us a line, which we full-heartedly support, please feel free to contact us at our email, theamateurautorspodcast at gmail.com. Remember, that is one word. You can also find us at Twitter at amateurautorspod. Once again, thank you for supporting the show. Stay tuned for more episodes, and thank you once again.